welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast, the new writing night in podcast form. I'm your host, Natalie, and thanks for joining us once again as we get stuck into some new writing audio plays. These are particularly new new writing pieces this week, as both plays in this episode were written during the UK COVID-19 lockdown and have been influenced more or less directly by the world in 2020. If that has you reaching for the pause button, though, stick with us, because I guarantee you are in for a treat. Later in the episode, we hear Rihanna Owen's comedy Safety First, and I talk to her about online courses and braving the children's soft play centre in a pandemic. But first, Moses isn't coping. He's alone with his fears in a monolithic London. Fever dreams, unfulfilled desires and ghostly grandparents. Only the hushed streets hear his voice. Dead Birds was written by Chris John, directed by Andrew James Spooner, edit and sound design by Kevin Davey, and performed by David Monteith. We recommend listening to Dead Birds on headphones where possible for the full immersive experience. I don't think I'm coping very well with all this. Been staring out the window for hours, lost in my thoughts, I suppose. Days roll by, one after the other, and no one knows where they go. I don't mind on the one hand, but then I... At least the weather's got better. Still got that pain in my chest. Can hardly breathe half the time. From all the anxiety I expect, the pressure. You can feel it in the atmosphere, just heaviness. Like a constant weight on your back until your legs buckle underneath you and you just... Anyway, no point dwelling on it. Nothing wrong with me. That's what the paramedic said. Pricks my finger, blots it on a plastic strip. Blood sugar's fine, he says. Oxygen levels a hundred percent. Can't get any better than that. Could just be muscle tension, he continues. Best go and see your GP. Blonde hair. Asked me to undo my shirt. Puts his hands on my chest. Blonde hair. Shame about the gloves. I can feel the energy is pulsing through his fingers. Blonde hair. And I've realised how calm I am. Nice to be close to someone. Nice to be... touched. It's in the back of my mind, isn't it? You know, whether he's... Hard to tell these days. Goes downstairs with his colleague, comes back up on his own, starts writing his notes. Blonde hair. Green eyes, not blue. Can't help but look. Green eyes. Captivating. Hypnotic. My mum's got green eyes. Worship the ground she walked on when I was a little boy. (laughs) 
mum. Accidentally catches Gay's bit awkward. He says, sorry it's taken so long. I say, it's fine, you're not disturbing me. I'd offer you a cup of tea, but you'd have to. Yeah, he replies. Thanks, can't really. Blonde's not usually my type, to be honest, but he's. Striding down the hall, beautiful legs, heavy boots. Hesitates as he walks out the door. Wish I could see his mouth. Looks back as he steps into the dark. Mumbles, take care of yourself then. I see something in his eyes. Those glorious green eyes. Well, I think I do. I hope I do. Is it wrong to imagine someone you've only just met completely naked? Depends who it is, I suppose. Streets hushed. He closes the ambulance door, drives off. Ambulance. All of a sudden, the word doesn't mean anything. Never think you're alone. Because you aren't. There's always someone to talk to. Somewhere. Dreamed I was on a ventilator last night, wheeling through endless corridors, kept trying to see the nurse's face, but somehow I never could. Two black and starry voids where her eyes should have been, threatening to suck me in, tear me into a trillion atoms and scatter me across the universe for eternity. Hallucinating. Gasping for breath, bedsheets soaked with sweat, wires hanging out the ceiling. The whole place is in ruins. I knew I was going to die. And I didn't care. I just accepted it. Embraced it. Like sinking into velvet. I wake up. Mr Thomas! I can see her face. The nurse, peering over her bifocals, she looks bored, I suppose. Don't know what she's calling me Mr Thomas for. Perhaps they thought I was someone else. Put me in a private hospital by mistake. <laughs> she takes my blood pressure. I ask her, am I all right? You're fine, she replies, smiling, tilting her head to one side. Everything's perfectly normal. But it's not normal, is it? None of this is normal. Early morning. Deserted streets. I walk along the platform at Waterloo. See her before I even get there. On the bridge, you could see her a mile away. Hair as white as snow, looking over the Thames. Tide goes out as she watches the bodies float downstream. Gravesend in the estuary, that's where we'll all end up. I put my hand on her shoulder. She says, be careful, but she don't move away. Missed you, Nan, I tell her. Never remembered your hair was that white, not when you... She takes my hand in hers, covers it with her other hand. It's all right. You'll be all right. I know you, Moses. You're a strong boy, she says. Lot of them, isn't there? She says. In the water. 
Look how many there are. Nan, I blurt, you ain't wearing no shoes, Nan. Your feet will get cold. People used to think you weren't my grandson. Different colour skin, she whispers. But I told them, he's mine, he's my boy, my bunny boy. Lovely brown curls you had. Nan, where's your slippers, Nan? They're all goners, she says. Had their chips. Game's up. How's Grandad? I ask her. He's all right, she says. The same. Just sits in his armchair all day. <laughs> Glad they aren't around for all this. This place is still a ghost town. Trains ain't got any people on them. Had the whole of the West End to myself the other day. Peace. Finally. I never want it to end. So what if the machine stops? Maybe it's for the best. Sick of the TV. Turn the sound down when he comes on. Don't seem so cocky lately. Got a terrible pallor at the best of times, but look at him now. He's shrinking, worn out, fading away. Seems lost. Imagine if he'd... I wonder what would have happened. It's not as if things can get much worse anyway. I've lost interest, to be honest. I think everyone has. Best to see it as an opportunity. We'll never have the chance again. I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Never have done. Dead birds on the motorway. Who come up with that? People don't... I mean, we can't... We can't keep on living like this. I can't keep living like this. Trees are green in the park. Of course they are. What other colour would they be? Strange if they weren't green. Unless it was autumn, I suppose. Or winter. Or spring. I don't know much about nature. Just been noticing things more lately. Crows woke me up again this morning, tapping on the window. Been putting peanuts and bits of chopped up apple out for them. They're highly intelligent creatures. I'll talk to them. But they can't say anything back. Just look at you through obsidian eyes, deeper centuries. Nothing's certain anymore. That's what people keep saying. Thing is, nothing ever was certain. We're just seeing existence as it really is, for once but they don't want to see it. It's like they're walking around with their eyes closed. All I know is I want to live my life, go everywhere, do everything I can while I can, open the front door and run for miles, be happy. It's not too much to expect. Is it?
So my name's Chris John and my pronouns are he, him. Hi Chris, thank you so much for being part of the Ragged Scratch podcast this season. Thank you. Thank you for um, taking an interest in my work and recognising that it was something worth featuring. No, you're welcome. I really love reading it and at the moment we're recording this before either of us have heard the final edit of Deadbirds, yeah. but I had a little sneaky listen in on the recording session and uh, I was pretty excited by what I heard. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your writing background? Yes, yeah, so uh, I come from West London originally and I live in South London now. I was born in, in the 1970s, so don't try and work out how old I am, but um, <laughs> I was born in the 70s. My mum's Welsh and my dad's Jamaican and I grew up on a council estate and I still live on a council estate now actually in South mm -hmm. London and I suppose all of that shaped my outlook a lot. Mm. When I was at school I really loved everything sort of artistic. I used to write a lot of stories, I used to always be in the drama groups at school and then you know I didn't really do very well at school. I left school when I was 16 with I think like two O levels and a CSE. Then a bit later on I went to drama school and then I went to the poor school and I really enjoyed that and then you know, I was lucky enough to have a stint of working as a, as a professional actor. Mm. But I think as everybody who's worked in sort of creative industries knows, it's very hard to make money. Um, and I pretty much, yeah, I had to give up acting. But then I started writing for QX magazine, which is an LGBT sort of listings and scene magazine. Mm. And I did a lot of sort of like club reviews. So I went to nearly every gay club in London. And then I started doing some evening classes in, in short story, creative writing and theatre writing. It's really just come on from there. My writing has just developed over quite a long time. And then something that's quite significant is I met a really nurturing, I suppose, teacher and mentor called Stuart Permit, who's encouraged me a lot. And he's been really supportive and always sort of said that he thinks I'm a good writer. Mm. and just encourage me to develop and so I've been going to um, the Actors Centre Theatre Writing Group for quite a few years and I've worked up some like theatre scripts, film scripts, spoken word stuff and I've had quite a lot of performances and rehearsed readings but this is my first time that I've ever had anything actually sort of recorded in any way so I'm really excited about that. One yeah. of the points that you mentioned I think is so important is access to mentors especially for working class mm. creatives because it's something I think that is not appreciated as like the difference a good mentor a good teacher at school or a good mentor mm -hmm. later in life can mm. really make the difference and it, it's very often the thing that working class creatives don't naturally get the mm. middle class creatives do through networking or family ties or that kind of thing so yeah. I'm, I'm pleased that you've managed to uh, to find that mental relationship it's interesting that you picked up on the working class thing because I suppose it is a bit of a struggle you know I think I always had a natural sort of aptitude for creativity mm. but I have always sort of struggled with my circumstances I suppose yeah, I think there's there's no kind of shame in finding your direction after school, after your 20s. I think it's just as long as you find it mm. and are happy when you have, I think. Yeah. So out of the things that you have written, the projects and, and the, the pieces that you've been working on, do you have a favourite thing? My first one was a full-length play 
um, which was very ambitious, actually. And it was one of my early things that I wrote. Mm. And it's called Burning White Light. And essentially, it's sort of like a weird sort of sci-fi supernatural cabaret performance. So, so basically, a meteorite lands in Kennington Park. And that sort of um, brings about the return of Edward II, King Edward II yeah. and Piers Gaveston to Kennington and in the, the 21st century. And they sort of find their way to a Vauxhall nightclub where transgender performance artists and sundry other club workers are getting ready for the evening's performance. And essentially it's a lip syncing retelling of the Edward II story set in the modern day with lots of sort of weird stuff going on. Um, that sounds so amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I loved the idea of it, but it was very ambitious. And actually it almost got picked up by the Oval House Theatre at the time right. I wrote it, I suppose, because it was just set just around the corner. Mm. But I just think it was very ambitious and it probably needed quite a lot more development at that point. But it's something I might come back to. Yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah. Dead Birds, yeah. to, to mm. come back to the, the piece we're here to talk yeah. about, sounds quite different from, from both of those. It's, it's quite a deeply thoughtful piece and it's quite an intense character study. So do you, do you have a particular style that you stick to or do you like to play in lots of different styles and themes what i think it is i think that dead birds is the style i've sort of arrived at over a number of years but it has elements of of that early stuff that i wrote but because this piece is very particular it's focused in on that sort of reflective contemplative somber in some ways and i think yeah i think um my style has developed into something that's recognizable now as my own particular view of the world mm. and I think it's typical of where I am now you know you go through various phases don't you mm. I'd say I've really got my own style I think some of my earlier stuff you know the influences were much more on show whereas I think what I've got now the influences aren't as obvious or if they can even be seen at all you know mm. but what I've noticed is that there's a lot of realist kitchen sink, like I say, that supernatural, that magic realism, absurdist as well. Um, and I just really connect with that. So this really, yeah, I'd say this is, this is the essence of, of how I like to write. I love to create sort of strong images. And what I like is to move myself when I'm writing, mm. create strong atmospheres, and to move whoever the audience is to create that connection and something I can feel it now actually when I'm talking about it I'm getting that feeling I get when I write you know mm. because it's something that can reduce you to tears that can make you sort of gasp you know when you've done it you know and I suppose gradually I've found a way of creating that flow of energy that just moves me and moves everybody else that comes into contact with what I write hopefully that's beautiful thank you well I'm I'm so pleased that you've you've found that yourself apart from anyone else I'm afraid we that that's oh, all we well. have time for uh, but thank you so much Chris do you have uh, an online presence if people wanted to find yeah you? well to be honest I'm on Facebook 
and that's about the limit of it i'm on twitter and instagram as well but you know i don't have a website or anything but you know i would love people to contact me i'm always looking to collaborate with people thank you so much chris thank you too natalie thank you to chris andrew kevin and david for all their beautiful work on dead birds and if you wanted to watch David do something completely different, he and his family star in Matalan's Christmas advert this year. His daughters are hilarious, so do go and watch it if you haven't seen it already. Director Andrew is also a rather prolific voice actor, and his voice can be heard in a range of upcoming titles, including 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and The Sandman for Audible, some Doctor Who audio dramas for Big Finish, and video games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago because <clears throat> I'm also in it, as well as Watch Dogs Legion and the upcoming Baldur's Gate 3. So amazing work there, Andrew. That's quite the portfolio. For more info about everything Andrew's involved in, please go see his website, www.andrewjamesspooner.com. Another shout-out I've already mentioned this season is for a new ghost story written by the writer of our next play, Rhiannon Owens. Baby It's Cold Inside features as part of the lineup for Uncanny Collective's Festival of Christmas Ghost Stories, Warnings to the Curious. I'm performing Baby It's Cold Inside, and also Ragged Scratch performer Sarah Lynham is performing a couple of pieces throughout the festival as well, which runs from the 16th to the 20th of December on Zoom. You can find out more info, buy tickets for Baby It's Cold Inside, or indeed the whole festival, at uncannycollective.co.uk. Finally, if you're missing the opportunity to go and see a pantomime this year and you fancy the sound of one that's semi-improvised, loosely played in a role-playing game format, live and free to watch, then I'll be performing in Roll Flip Draws Jack and the Beanstalk this coming Friday the 11th and Saturday the 12th of December at 8pm UTC. You can watch online at twitch.tv forward slash rollflipstream and audience interaction through suggestions, comments and emotes is highly encouraged. Links to all the above are in the show notes. Moving on to our second play this week, finally, a solution for how to stay safe at work, only it's not voluntary and don't ask questions. Rhiannon Owen's Safety First was directed by Alex Cazalet, edit and sound designed by Alex Cazalet and Nick Forshaw. It stars Katie Moore as Eve and Natalie Chisholm as Una. Safety First carries a content warning for strong language throughout. Welcome to WorkSafe, the complete life capsule that enables you to work safe. Safe from distractions, safe from the outside world, and safe in the knowledge that illness and disease cannot reach you. What the...? Congratulations! You have been selected as a trial candidate due to your health status, your age, and your complete lack of meaningful connections in the outside world. What? What the hell? I have connections! <laughs> I have people! You can't just stick me in here, let me out! I would be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, yeah. Where the hell am I? Who the hell has put me in here? What, what the hell is going on? I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Who are you? I am Una, here to assist you with all your needs. No, I mean, who, who created you? Who created this? What is this? 
What is going on? I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Let me out of here! Would you like to run a calibration so that I might better understand your voice? I'm sorry, I did not understand yes. that. Yes! Okay, yes, run the calibration. Running calibration. Please repeat the following phrases exactly so that I can map your voice. I love WorkSafe. No, I'm not saying that. I'm sorry, I did not understand that. I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Oh, fine! I love WorkSafe. Thank you. Please repeat the following statement. It allows me to live a complete life. It allows me to live a complete life. Thank you. Please repeat the following statement. I've never felt so productive as I do now. I've never felt so productive as I do now. Thank you. Calibration complete. Would you like to ask a question? Uh, when can I go home? I'm sorry, I did not understand oh, that. You can't keep me in here! Let me out! I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Oh, shut up, you useless cow! I'm sorry, I did not understand oh. that. It appears I am having trouble understanding you. You think? Would you like me to contact tech support? Oh, yes, yes, please contact tech support. Hello? Hello? Yes, thank God. Please help me. Welcome to tech support. How may I assist you? For fuck's sake. I want you to let me out of here. I'm sorry, I did not understand oh. that. I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Oh. I have sent an error report. Maintenance will respond to the malfunction within 7 to 10 days. Thank you for using tech support. Goodbye. Wait, 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 oh, come on! You can't do this to me! While you wait, would you like to hear about your new, exciting world of work at WorkSafe? I'm sorry. Yes, sure. Why not? WorkSafe provides the safest way for individuals to work. No more commuting, no more shared housing, and no more crowding into offices. With WorkSafe, you are completely alone. You will be asked to carry out basic data entry tasks. If you prove successful, you may progress to more advanced tasks. Your cubicle is now your home and your office, so you can be sure you are safe from the outside world. Would you like to hear about our extensive entertainment package? Yeah, sure, why not? Here at WorkSafe, when you're not working, you're living it up at the bar, seeing the latest blockbusters at the cinema, or even traveling the world. All this is made possible through the magic of virtual reality. No more rubbing shoulders with the masses, when WorkSafe can populate your world with sanitary, safe, and agreeable virtual friends and colleagues. Well, at least my sex life can't suffer. I'm sorry. Oh, never mind. You can now begin your first task. Just follow the prompts on the screen in front of you. Do you have any further questions? When can I go? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it a rest. What the hell does Una mean, anyway? Una. U-N-A-A. -A, unthreatening, neutral, automated assistant. Lovely. Thank you for choosing WorkSafe. Choose? We are now ready to upload your testimonial to attract other candidates to join you in the wonderful world of WorkSafe. <laughs> no, I'm not giving you a testimonial. Your testimonial was uploaded. What testimonial? 
I love WorkSafe. It allows me to live a complete life. I've never felt so productive as I do now. Oh, you sneaky bitch! I am Rhiannon Owens and my pronouns are she, her. Welcome back to the Ragged Scratch podcast, Rhiannon. You were one of our returning writers. Your uh, your piece about a girl was featured in our first series, recorded in 2019. What have you been up to since then? Since then, I have done a couple of things. Well, I did the monologue for the isolation sessions yep. with Ragged Scratch. And I snuck in just before lockdown um, a monologue with Yellow Coat Theatre Company. Mm. And... I have been very, very slowly writing a longer monologue that was supposed to be with the Camden Fringe, but then something happened. Um, I don't know what. I don't yeah. remember now. But, <laughs> so I finally finished that, which took most of lockdown because I have small children. Fair enough. And then recently, I've just done a five-week online Zoom course with Theatre 503, which was Introduction to Playwriting, Getting Back to Basics, really. Lovely. So I can learn how to write a proper length play. As opposed to the stuff that you've written before, which was not proper writing. <laughs> just, I mean, just a long Right, one. yeah, yeah, sure. So when we spoke last, you said that you'd mostly written short plays and mostly comedy. So obviously you've just said you've been working on writing some longer pieces with both About a Girl and Safety First. Your comedy has come from outspoken characters calling out the establishment. Do you consciously set out to make political points in your writing or do you find that it just sneaks its way in there? Both. I think I have a lot of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) and yet I'm not good with confrontations so a good way to get them out and get people talking is through Mm theatre and I think yeah I mean I love things like farcical things uh, that are just for fun like noises off but I think theatre is such a good medium for sparking debate and getting people talking and putting the world up in front of people so they can think about it a little bit differently Mm. um that yeah I think it's quite a good thing to write about issues yeah in terms of your style as well you always seem to go straight to the heart of the matter and and you posit points and and jokes very succinctly I think you're very economical with the with the way that you write them do you have any tips or techniques that you use to pack so much into your plays in in so few words well I think I'm just one of those people that's always had to count the title in like essays and stuff to get to the word count I'm always been pretty economical with the way I write I think a lot of it is because I live inside my brain so there's a lot of mulling that goes on so when I actually get to writing what comes out is probably a little bit of a second draft already Mm -hmm. so I get to a point where I find a little snippet or something that I like and then from there I just write dialogue like specifically people talking to each other so I'm not I'm not trying to say anything specific I just see where a conversation goes Mm -hmm. I just imagine in my head two people talking and that's where it goes and then obviously when you're talking in real life you're not making massive speeches generally so it's quite yeah just two people talking to each other I think that depends on the person I I know some people that definitely would but <laughs> yeah that's true actually <laughs> the average person mm. yeah no actually during this course that I was doing um, one of the things that uh, was suggested was like actioning like like we do as actors to action each thing so making sure that each piece of diet I mean obviously this is not once you've 
written for a long time you wouldn't go through actioning everything but as a, mm-hmm. as a means of learning a more um, economical way of taking out all the baggage was to action all the text and make sure that everything that is there is doing something and not just there for the sake of being there mm-hmm. and I think that's quite a good way of learning and kind of um, training yourself not to write baggy things yeah I think that's the case with acting as well when you when you use actioning as a process you have to learn how to do it in full at length at the start yeah the more you do it the the more of a shorthand it becomes and the more it becomes just something to nip back to when you're struggling with a little moment yeah so it becomes just part of the process little plug for people who've never heard of it we were recommended this book at drama school called actions the actors thesaurus and if you're not familiar with it, then I recommend grabbing it and having a, a little look because it's just really useful. Um, it's by Marina Calderoni and Maggie Lloyd-Williams, and I'll put a link in the show notes as well. I just find it a really useful resource to nip back to if you're ever struggling for for character intentions and being very hyper-specific about what those intentions are, not just like, she is angry, but like, <laughs> she is, why is she angry? What flavour of angry is she? I think it's yeah. really useful for that. <laughs> Definitely. Otherwise, I'm literally like, uh, two chest dies. Um, <laughs> just a million times. <laughs> not good with thinking of the different types of words. <laughs> so we're not quite at the Black Mirror-esque stage of health and safety that you portray in Safety First yet. Uh, but one of the delights that has come out of 2020 has been the anti-mask conspiracy theories um, amongst other things that they take this uh oh it's health and safety gone mad kind of idea to to the next level even when there's huge evidence that we should all be wearing masks to look after each other and it's a little bit of politics sneaking in here Ah. Um, (laughs) have you ever seen any health and safety measures that you think have genuinely actually gone too far well it's been quite some like amusing ones during uh uh, covid covid gate um like <laughs> at soft plays they have um all of them have arrows mm-hmm. telling the children which way's in and which way's out and like which way's <laughs> up and which day's down and i'm like um do they like, have they met children two years old <laughs> i i get that you had to put these arrows in place to have your thing open by the authorities but did anybody think this was going to actually happen <laughs> It's like mm, arrows, nice. Okay, we're going this way. <laughs> Have yours complied and followed the arrows? I mean, <laughs> the older one <laughs> loves the rule, so <laughs> he's like, "No, no, we can't, we can't go that way." <laughs> no, mummy, we mustn't. <laughs> but the arrows, the arrows. I might just ignore the arrows. Everybody else is. Um, <laughs> Such a rebel. But <laughs> needless to say, the one, the one-year-old did not comply with the arrows. <laughs> shocking what a scene Shock, shocking behavior <laughs> cool well thank you very much Rhiannon for, for this uh, this interview um remind us for, for those who haven't listened to your um the, the episode where we previously featured your work remind us where we can find you online I'm on twitter at Rhiannon T Owens um yeah that's where I put all my stuff I'm doing thank you very much Rhiannon thank you Thanks again to Rhiannon, Alex, Nick, Katie and Natalie for Safety First. And if you were interested in the actor's thesaurus that Rhiannon and I were talking about in the interview, I've popped a link to that in the show notes too. That's all we have time for this week. 
We'll be back again next Thursday with two more new writing audio plays. The Ragged Scratch podcast brought to you by Ragged Falls Productions was produced and hosted by Natalie Winter. Play edits by Kevin Davey, Alex Cazalet and Nick Forshaw. Episode edits by Natalie Winter. The Ragged Scratch podcast theme music was composed by Alex Jones. You can find us online at Ragged Foils across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we've been tagging this week's creative so you can find out more about them and their work. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us with a donation on coffee.com forward slash Ragged Foils. All donations will go back into making the podcast as best we can. Tell your friends about us so more people can enjoy and celebrate audio plays, and we'll see you next week.